0: I was recently invited to speak uh, on the Big Island to um, a woman that has a nursery from whom we buy seedlings from that we're planting on our land on Maui. And so I did some research into the Buddha's relationship to trees. And there's a vast uh, relationship, a very uh, intricate relationship I guess. And the Buddha talked a lot about trees and a lot of the images of spiritual practice as a tree and the different qualities that are developed as the roots and the branches and the flowers of the tree. But he was not so much interested in the studying of the nature of trees so much as studying the nature of ourself. And he encouraged his students, or those who are interested in coming to know themselves, he encouraged them to go to remote forest places of solitude. And when I think of coming here, what I think of most is, of course, the forest and the, uh, the stillness of it. It's, it's remote enough for us these days uh, it is physically secluded from our you know friends and family and distractions and busyness and I hope you'll take that opportunity or the opportunity that being physically secluded uh, offers us here and, and be digitally secluded also. Um, and why? why? Why did he encourage uh, us to seek out places like this that are away from our familiar, usual behaviors, habits, distractions, entanglements. Well, the Buddha, even after his awakening, said of himself, I resort to the forest, to remote, secluded places in the forest, for two reasons. I see a pleasant abiding for myself here and now. A pleasant abiding for myself here and now. And I have compassion for future generations. We'll see if we can find a pleasant abiding for ourselves here and now in the forest. But I think that the the real journey for us is not getting to Cloud Mountain, but it's getting to the inner life of our heart and mind. And to really um, give ourselves the luxury of not having to answer the phone not having to respond to others, not having to take care of anyone but ourselves, and to really find the source of all of our being, all of our aliveness in, in our heart, in our mind. Where is it? What is it that is possible? What is it that moves us in our life, that moves us around, that moves us through life? We know there's plenty of obligation and commitment and requirements and legal and financial and families, demands. But underneath all of that, what potential are we? do we sense or have we seen that we know is there that could be developed? It's said to be to be born a human being is the result of a tremendous amount of wholesome, skillful, beautiful uh, karmic actions. And that this is a this is a uh, pleasant abiding place to be. <laughs> so in one sense having been born a human being we have this karmic profile along with our genetic profile and our evolutionary tract whatever wherever we are on it that We can either use or abuse. And we can make something of it or we can just indulge it. And the opportunity is there for us, each one of us, to to really look within our heart to discover what it is that we see in ourselves, what it is that we see in others, that we truly consider to be the best that's humanly possible. I'm not asking anyone to try to be or to become a superman, a superwoman, or something extraordinary, but just to be fully human. And what would that mean? When we look throughout human history, or we even just look among our family and friends, and we see those who are considered, or that we would consider to be good human beings, what is it that we see in them that alerts us to the fact that, oh, they, there's something special about them? What is it about them? What is it their behavior? What, what behavior, what quality of heart, what capacity of mind, what willingness do they have that alerts us to the fact that here's someone who's alive, here's someone who's real in some way. Maybe someone just has extraordinary integrity, not a self-righteousness, not a defensiveness, but just lives with a tremendous amount of integrity. Or they're very generous, compassionate and generous and full of gratitude for the way their life is and able to share it with others. Or they have a resolve a, a determination, a resoluteness in their heart that is unshakable in the face of apparently overwhelming challenges and obstacles. I was just listening to a an interview with uh, Aung San Suu Kyi. Charlie Rose did an interview with, a Skype interview with Aung San Suu Kyi for the uh, Clinton Global Initiative. And here's a woman that, well, endured the solitude of house arrest for 15 of the last 20 years, just holding the aspiration of more compassionate government in her country, Burma. And she just sat there, alone, for 15 years, trying to play the piano a little bit, without friends or visitors coming to see her. What makes that behavior so apparent to us as there's somebody who's really alive. There's somebody who's got some steel. That's really knows something about themselves that we might like to know about ourselves. You know, the neuroscientists of the uh, contemporary neuroscientists are really fascinated with really coming to understand trying to understand the way the the way the mind works the way the mind the brain works and a lot of their cues as to where to look and how to look and what to look for are coming to them through their dialogue with meditators who know something about the mind And what seems so exciting and unexpected to them, and is maybe so obvious to us, is that the mind can change. (laughs) The mind is plastic. We can work with the mind and change its behaviors which actually has a conditioning effect and changes the function, size, shape, etc. of the brain. Well, now I have to ask you, why did you come to this retreat? What is it about being here now that, well, what got stirred in you? What got scratched in you? What, what flame lit up in you as a possibility within yourself? Most people don't come on retreat because it's good for somebody else. We come because there's something in it for us which may have its spillover effect and be beneficial to others, as it undoubtedly or inevitably will. But do we recognize some undeveloped potential within ourselves? Did we recognize some carelessness that we'd like to let go of and some wholesomeness that we'd like to develop? Do we recognize an aspiration in our heart to um, live a more worthy, enhanced, balanced, noble, generous, grateful, compassionate, responsive, skillful life? Within the reasons that we all might give, might consider for being here lies this understanding that, well, we may not be fulfilling our human capacity. There is room for improvement and the potential is there. And this for this kind of behavior, retreating and uh, undertaking an intensive investigation of our own heart and mind, has for many people been seen to be and known to be beneficial. And so we, we recognize within ourselves, it's obvious to us that there's a potential that can be developed through training. And what we're doing is really cultivating the, the qualities of what I and what we are calling inner beauty that we recognize in others. Patience, generosity, gratitude, love, compassion. We recognize these in others, we recognize them in ourself. We have all these qualities, we've displayed all these qualities. They're not foreign to us, they're not exotic, they're not particularly religious, they're not spiritual, they're just Good ordinary human being qualities that we have room to improve on. And why? So much of our life is spent you know, pursuing education, career, financial security, romantic relationship, family, companionship, security. knowledge. And we put a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of our personal resources into acquiring these things. And yet, for all the success that we've had in our life, it's still not enough. And I think we all No. We all feel, we all have this understanding in our heart that just as the tsunami rolled through northern Japan six months ago and totally changed hundreds of thousands of people's lives instantly, there's a tsunami heading towards us. We don't know it yet. We don't know what it's gonna look like. We don't know how it's gonna appear. But we can be sure that unexpected conditions are gonna come into our life. And whatever we have acquired, whatever we've learned, whatever we've put together as a form of security and safety and a sense of well-being can be pulled out from underneath us in a minute, a second. And what are we left with? We're left with our own inner resources, our own resilience, stamina, understanding to navigate unfamiliar, fearful, terrifying, changing conditions. Well this is why we develop these inner qualities of heart, qualities of mind, that are recognized as beautiful because they are the source of our sense of well-being when everything else is pulled out from underneath us. We still have this knowledge of ourself. We have this understanding. We have developed not only a kind of a an intellectual understanding, but we've developed a an embodied uh, way of life that is responsive, grateful, generous, kind, understanding, patient, balanced. And just because external conditions change, the inner qualities don't get swept away by the tsunami of our life. They're here, they're within us, they are us. It's what we are, is not something to be taken away. And so, when we come to the forest in a place where, well, we really don't have our familiar toys to play with, we get to develop these, well, extraordinary uh, inner, we get the opportunity, I should say, to develop these inner qualities. And it is so uh, unexpected that trying to sit quietly in a quiet forest could be so challenging. But we know, we've, we've been on, most of us have been on retreat. And for those of you who are new to retreat, don't let my talk scare you. <laughs> <laughs> but as you know, just being here with ourselves for a week takes a lot of patience, a lot of acceptance. We come to understand a lot of what we we can be grateful for, and in this gradual opening to, oh, this is this is the way it is in here. This is the way it is in this heart, mind, body, life. The acceptance of this is the way it is, is a tremendous gift that we uh, can give ourselves, But it takes some time. It takes some time to, it takes some steadiness of attention to, to get to, well, this pleasant abiding here and now. And that's the effort, that's the direction of our efforts while we're here is really to look to see what it is, how we can cultivate a pleasant abiding here and now, and what gets in the way of a pleasant abiding here and now. And we've got plenty of stories in our mind, stories in our heart about ourself that are disturbing and agitating and fearful and stressful and anxiety producing, that interfere with a pleasant abiding here and now. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to discover them. In fact, that's why we're here. If there are such stories in the mind, if there are such beliefs, memories, anticipations, let's look at them. Let's just take a look. How can it disturb, how does it disturb this pleasant abiding here and now. Can we find a way to open to that, to understand it in a different way, to grow in our capacity to tolerate, to withstand, to endure, to be steadfast, and to recover quickly when we get overwhelmed? One of the hardest things to do is to wake up to our own mistaken beliefs and habits. We look at the world, we look at our life, we look at each other, and we see the source of anxiety and fear and judgment and blame. It makes us miserable. Why do we want to understand things that way? There's another way to look at the world. Same world. But there's another way of understanding it that brings an understanding and an appreciation of gratitude, generosity, compassion. And this makes us happy. This makes us strong. This makes us If feel a sense of well-being in our life, no matter what is going on. A sense of well-being doesn't come to us because, finally, the world got it right. And now we can live happily ever after. The feeling of well-being comes when we have the confidence to trust our own inner awareness, to know our own strengths and limitations and to be willing to act in the world proactively and responsively to the way things are. Kamala and I were in Burma earlier this year in January and towards the end of our uh, stay we were there a couple of weeks with some friends traveling around looking at uh, some schools that we would built and and, uh, Some nunneries and and just looking around at what could be, what we've done and what we could do. And on the last, one of the last days we were there, uh, some friends wanted to take us to to meet a nun that they knew. So we met and we went through the back alleyways of Rangoon and we got to this uh, very crowded densely packed, narrow street, well, kind of like a slum, but it was a lot of nunneries there. And there was this one, they took this one nun who uh, had a small acre, uh, not even an acre, small piece of land, and there were about, I think she has about 25 nuns, young young, young nuns staying with her, most orphans, most of them are orphans. And she said a couple years ago, she noticed that, geez, during the school year, during the school day, there were just dozens of kids around that weren't going to school. So she just put the word out that all those kids that weren't going to school should come to the nunnery during school day. 75 kids showed up. Mm -hmm. So she said, well, better teach them something. So she started teaching them and got some other and other nuns who were more knowledgeable to teach and uh, you know next school year 175 kids showed up. So she kind of put up some plastic walls and roof and taught them for a year and the next year, the year we were there, 375 kids showed up. These are kids that are too poor to go to the free public school in Burma because they can't afford clothes. Can't afford the, you know, the six dollars for a uniform, or twenty-five cents for a a little booklet. Can't go. So now she's teaching three hundred and seventy-five kids in two shifts every day in a little makeshift plastic-sheeted hovel. Happy as can be. Not overwhelmed. Not blaming just happy to be of service to these kids doing what she can understanding that they're living in terrible conditions poverty and she can't solve their problems and you know their education that she offers isn't the end of the world for them but it's something she's doing what she can with a lot of confidence a lot of skill tremendous compassion wisdom helping helping others. So, can we look around our life? Do we see a need anywhere? Do we see anyone in need anywhere of anything we have to offer? Not difficult, really. A couple years ago I noticed that when I walked down the street and saw panhandlers on the side of the street, I would try to Cross the road to avoid them. And I thought, geez. I, I, I I started to notice that I was unhappy. I was uncomfortable. I was a little fearful at times, a little anxious at times. I just didn't want to have to deal with it. Denial, avoidance, fear, blame. Who's responsible for them anyway? This is conditioning. This is the conditioning that I had. You may have some like that. And it caused me to suffer. No, nobody is causing me to suffer. It's my conditioning, my beliefs, my way of seeing the world causing me to suffer. And I said, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live like this. I want to do something about this. The person, the homeless person on the street, they can't do anything about my fear, my anxiety about them. Only I can. And with that, I said, okay, what have I got to do? Well, I got to engage this situation. I've got to look at my fear, feel my anxiety, address it directly. And so I began to, to greet and meet panhandlers and homeless people on the street. Amazing. They're all human. They all have a story. They all have a heart. And you can see it. All you have to do is stop and talk to them. say, how's it going today? One of the last people I asked, how's it going today? He said, it's a little slow today. What's that mean? (laughs) I don't know. You're panhandling. It's a little slow today. Well, okay. And yet, whatever you offer, whatever I offer, a dollar, or two, or twenty if that's what they need, or say they need. What I really offer is this non-judgmental human connection, love. They feel it, they get it, I get it, and we're both happy. We both have a sense of, ha, okay, here we are, in this moment, connected, alive, with a sense of well-being. Sure, it changes. I walk on down the street. They've got to show up the next day, do whatever they do. But in my heart and in their heart, for that moment, we change the world. And we can do that every moment of our life. If we understand this is the potential within our own heart, if we have the courage, if we have the resilience, if we have the stamina, if we have the willingness, if we're going to wait for somebody else to make our life better, frustration, disappointment, anger, blame, But if we see the opportunity to make our life better, there's no end, of, and no end of opportunity. That's what we're here for. We're here to discover within ourselves the resources that, well, just don't have an opportunity to flourish in the busyness, in the demands, in the hurry of our, well, overscheduled lives. And that's not to make that wrong. That's not wrong, that, this is the way it is. In our 21st Western, 21st century Western lifestyle at this age, at this <coughs> time, this is what it takes. Full on, 24-7, just to get by. And we can see it a different way if we develop the qualities of heart that make it possible. And here we come to to develop those qualities of heart. I I want to thank you very much for having this aspiration and making this decision uh, to come here. To to look at this uh, possibility within yourself and to develop these Quality qualities. Charlie Rose asked Aung San Suu Kyi in this interview, he said, Now, what is it that we in the West could do to most support your efforts in Burma, in Myanmar? And you know what she said? Awareness. Develop more awareness of what's actually going on in Burma. And how can you... What is it that you need to do to most support the development of your own heart? Awareness. More awareness of what's actually going on in your own heart, in your own mind. and that's the essence of the practice we'll be doing here, is developing awareness of the way things are. The way things are in our body, the way things are in our mind, the way things are in our relationship with each other, the way things are in our view of the world outside of ourselves, the way we relate to trees, the way we relate to solitude. What can we be aware of? It's developing awareness that is going to uh, bring forth, call forth, all of the qualities, all of the beautiful qualities of the heart. And even though we're here, away from your family, away from your job, away from your friends, away from your familiar distractions, believe me, they're all here with you. And when you, to the extent that you develop any of these qualities of heart, as you will on this retreat, it will go back with you too. It'll be available, they will be available to you in your work, in your civic life, in your domestic life, your social life. It's just a unique opportunity really to, to, to develop the awareness of them and to see what limits there are in your own heart, and to to grow beyond them a little bit. The mind is plastic. Our lives are not yet finished. We have plenty of room to grow in fulfilling our human potential. That sounds like a good thing to do this week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.